0: to the All About Audiology podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lila Saperstein, and on today's episode of a podcast, I have two very special guests, and we are gonna be talking with Razi and Leah Zarchi, who have created this amazing curriculum of American Sign Language at home, which has both video, lots of PDFs, and a really easy step-by-step way to learn early ASL American Sign Language. They are going to be telling us about their process, how they came up with this, and also just about themselves. So I'm very excited to welcome Rosie and Leah to the
1: show. Hi, thank you so much for having us.
0: Thank you so much for having us. Awesome. And before we totally jump in and get all the details, the amazing story of how this came about, I do want to let our listeners know that while we're recording this, we are on Zoom. The setup is like this. We've got Razi, in one little box of our Zoom. We've got Leah, Dr. Leah, over there in the corner. And we have two interpreters, uh, sign language interpreters. One is um, signing everything that I say, and the other is going to be speaking for Leah as she signs. Did I get that all right? Yep. Perfect. Excellent. (laughs) So throughout the uh, podcast that you'll be listening to, um, I am going to cut out all of the pauses and... The, you know, try to make it more um, condensed in terms of the audio, and as always, there will be a full transcript at allaboutaudiology.com. So, my first question is going to be for Razi and I'd like you to introduce yourself and tell us a little, a little about your background and how you came about for you know putting together this curriculum.
1: Sure. Um, so, my name is Rosy Zarchi. I'm a speech language pathologist starting my 10th year in the field. I'm a California native, and I've lived here my whole life. And as I got started in my career, I knew that I was really passionate about working with deaf and hard of hearing children. Um, And so as soon as I got the chance in my schooling, I started taking ASL classes and trying to improve my skills in that area. And also got involved in the local deaf community, which helped a lot.
0: Yeah. What was your exposure to the deaf and hard of hearing world?
1: Well, as a kid, I, um, the first deaf person I met was my basketball teammate. I played on a YMCA basketball team and there was a local child fairly close to my age who was on my team and was deaf and went to the closest school for the deaf to where I lived. We sort of became friends as teammates, but we really couldn't communicate very well. And so I, I got a book and tried to teach myself a couple of signs because I realized that my teammate didn't have um, access to what the coach was saying. And if you're in the middle of a basketball game and the ball goes out of bounds, the referee blows the whistle and then calls out a color for the the uniform color for whose ball it is. And so my teammate would be like, whose ball is it? Whose ball is it? And um, so I learned the colors really fast (laughs) just to be able to say who had the ball so we can move on with the game. But I realized like, hey, you're a really cool cool kid and I wanna be able to communicate with you Um, and decided I was gonna learn ASL. At the time from my little book that now looking back wasn't a very good one. I really didn't learn very much but it kind of got that (laughs) interest started. Um, And also I realized that when there isn't full access for deaf people to communicate, others miss out on getting to know who they are and what they have to say. and Because I could tell that my teammate was a really cool person and that I was missing out on knowing what they had to say um, and vice versa. There could could have been a real friendship there, but there wasn't because we didn't know the same language.
0: Part of the reason I love that story is because it shows how important it was for that student, for that child, to be involved in a basketball team that was outside of their Deaf school that was integrated in the community for you to be able to meet them and even have that exposure. So it's like win-win for everybody when things like that happen. And then that that was like your first introduction to ASL. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for (laughs) introducing yourself and telling us um, a little bit about yourself. And now we'll move to Leah. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to meet you. (laughs) Yes. We finally get to
2: meet after all this time of corresponding over Instagram. Now finally we get to see each other sort of face-to-face. Thank you for inviting us to come be on your podcast. So I was born and grew up in New Mexico. I lived there most of my life. Um, I traveled around for different schooling opportunities. I got my undergraduate degree from New Mexico State University. And I majored in kinesiology. Now I thought I wanted to become... Uh, a trainer. But as I went through my schooling, I realized I had made the wrong decision. I decided that I wanted to um, pursue something that I was a little bit more interested in. I was interested in other things. And at the same time, I was working at summer camp for deaf and hard of hearing children that was um, run from the PE department. That was my department. And that's where I first kind of got involved with languages of children and child language and language acquisition and that whole process. I decided to go ahead and um, continue my major with kinesiology. However, after that experience at the summer camp, I decided that I wanted to do a, a graduate program related to linguistics. So I applied and I did end up going to Gallaudet University. I was there for two years. I got my master's degree. And at the end of that, I felt like I wanted more schooling. So after I got at university, I decided to get my PhD. I got that at the University of Texas in Austin, and I focused on second language acquisition at that particular program. I graduated four years ago, and I'm now here at the Sacramento State University where I teach.
0: That's wonderful. And I actually minored in linguistics in undergrad, and that was part of what was going on for me because I was coming in you know, really interested in languages and linguistics because I came from a bilingual home and I just had this, like, languages were so interesting to me. And then that's kind of where I was introduced to communication disorders where I then moved to audiology. So we kind of did a crisscross the other way, <laughs> but I wanted to ask you about what was the language environment? Yeah, that's funny. I wanted to ask you about the language environment when you were growing up. What was your experience?
2: Yeah. Loaded question. So, um, so So growing up, I identified as hard of hearing and um, lost my hearing more as I became older, but I was able to acquire spoken language and be able to have some of that um, hearing to help with that. I was exposed to ASL um, at a young age. I'm not really sure what the story is and how I was exposed to ASL the first time, but I remember I went and had a hearing test when I was nine and someone came to the school And my class was kind of in line going to a particular place to get this hearing test. And I went and sat down in the booth and the technician, I don't think it was an audiologist. I think that it was just somebody else kind of giving a basic hearing test at the school. The technician explained that once I put the headphones on I would hear a beep and then I would have to raise my hand depending on what side I heard it on. So I did the test. And by the end, the technician told me to push the headphones into my ears. And she was like, don't forget to raise your hand if you hear a noise. And I was like, okay, pushing the headphones into my ears. And the technicians urged me to continue to do it even harder and said, Hey, just remember to raise your hand when you hear something. And so I'm sitting there, squeezing the headphones to my ear, sort of cautiously raising my hand. I was kind of on the border of um, this experience, right? She wanted me to leave. She didn't want to do out the paperwork. She kind of was not sure what to do with me, but. She just kind of like, excuse me and let me leave without sort of coming up with a diagnosis. Um, as I got older and I lost more of my hearing, um, I look back in my life and I see things that happened like that hearing test and it makes more sense, right? So my in language environment growing up was both English and Spanish. And somehow I was exposed to ASL at some point. And I kind of got more and more involved in the ASL community. I felt more um, attracted to it. And I think back at this point, I didn't realize that I was just kind of really feeling like I was at home. Um, I wasn't sure if it was, you know, the stress in which I was trying to hear things as I lost more of my hearing or the stress of trying to lip read everything. I'm not sure. But as my hearing level changed, I sort of shifted communities and became more involved in the deaf community and um, much more of a prevalent ASL user.
0: But was anyone at home using ASL or only outside other people in the community?
3: I was the only ASL user in the house um, and my exposure to ASL was only from the community.
0: Wow, I think that sounds like a very stressful way to try and communicate with people
3: that are closest to
0: you. Wow. Okay, so we heard a little bit about Rosie. We heard a little bit about Leah. I'd like to, you know, whoever wants to tell us how it uh, came about. How did you guys meet?
1: Well, we we met because of linguistics, actually. Speaking of linguistics, um, (laughs) I actually did my undergrad degree in linguistics and anthropology, and then moved over to speech pathology for grad school. Um, I I hadn't mentioned that before, but Leah is much better at actually telling the story of how we met, so I'll, I'll let you do that.
0: Wait, was that at Gallaudet?
1: No, I went to UCLA for undergrad and then um, here to Sacramento at Sacramento State for grad school, and we met here in Sacramento.
0: Okay, got it. Okay, Leah, I think that means you're on.
1: (laughs) Sure.
3: So the way that Rozzy and I met, I was still relatively new. I had just completed my first year here in Sacramento. Someone who is from the area in Sacramento was visiting, and another mutual friend, had invited lots of people to come and see this friend who was returning back home. Sacramento, as you may know, is very hot in the summer. And this other friend, her name is Mela. she decided to host an ASL day at the lake. People all swarmed to the lake and we were kayaking, paddleboarding, and there's a variety of different sports there at the lake, but really just hanging out, chatting and catching up on the beach. Mela had met Rozzy through some other events and people. And Mayla is also a professor at Sac State. And so she introduced the two of us. She had asked if we had met before, but she knew that we both had an interest in linguistics and she thought we should chat. So of course, I took the opportunity to chat Rozzy up and we just never stopped.
0: I love asking people how they met. Because I think it's It's so fun. It's one of those like miracle things that one person knows another person who knows six other people, and then (laughs) ta-da, you just meet the person that is exciting. So anyway, the you know you guys have this adorable puppy I see on Instagram all the time. Leah is always busy with tons of videos and work. (laughs) Um, And so I wanted to hear how it came about that you know with all the things that you two are so so busy with and all your responsibilities, plus corona fell on everyone's head. Where did this idea, and not only the idea, but then doing all the action to fruition for putting out this curriculum, how did that come about? When did this start? I'm gonna go ahead and let razi
2: Ro- talk because I think that it's kind of more of his brainchild. So go ahead.
1: Okay, as part of my job, I work with deaf and hard of hearing infants and toddlers and their parents. Um, I also work with older kids, but a large part of my job is working closely with parents who are still very much adjusting to learning how to communicate with their child, learning what all of this means, um, making decisions about communication opportunities and listening devices and all of these things. Um, So a lot of it is counseling and providing resources, um, a lot of it is also helping them um, learn techniques to enrich their child's language at home. And some of it is also helping them learn ASL. And um, I've also started a family class at our program that's for parents or family members of children of any age in the whole district program. But it tends to be the parents of very young children who come, partially because they usually host it at the preschool. I'm not... I I don't have training in teaching ASL and I um, am not always necessarily in favor of hearing people being the ones to teach ASL in the first place. Um, And so, but the purpose of the family class is to provide a place for these families to come and learn together. And so um, I've done what I can to bring in deaf adults to help teach the class whenever I'm able to do that. Um, and also to try and use resources that have deaf adults as language models, um, even when I'm not able to have someone in there live with me who is also deaf. The problem that I ran into was that the, the resources for learning ASL that are out there, many of them really don't meet the needs of parents who have the immediate need of knowing what to say to their child in ASL during everyday routines with a very young child. And I've, I've done a lot of searching and there are some fantastic resources out there. They just don't meet that very particular need. And so um, as Leah said earlier, since we first started talking, we've never stopped. And so we've always been talking about You know, I wish I wish this existed. I wish this existed. One day we were stuck in an airport for something like six hours because of a canceled flight. This was Leah. You're better with dates than I am. November. That was October 31st. He's kind of a savant with dates.
0: Um, No, you were in the airport, so that's how you know
1: what day was. Right, we were we were stuck in an airport on our way to right, not from on our way to. Um, a conference for speech language pathologists who use ASL and others in related fields who wanted to learn about language development and language deprivation. Of, with Kimberly? Yes, with, with Kim, right, put on by Kimberly Sanzo.
0: We have to shout her out. I love Kimberly. Kimberly Sanzo came on the podcast way when it was early, early episodes And I learned a lot from her and everyone should go listen to that episode. I'm going to link it in the show notes about language deprivation, the need for ASL. Sorry to cut you off. Please continue. We love you, Kimberly.
1: (laughs) We do. We really do. Um, And so we were on our way to her conference and got talking because our flight was canceled and we were stuck in, I think we were in St. Louis at the time and we started talking about, okay, What if a parent curriculum like this did actually exist? What would it look like? What would it include? Let's just dream for a minute. And I think I pulled out my phone and created a Google Doc on my phone and just started taking notes. And we were just talking, 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 coming up with ideas, writing up just kind of a brainstorm outline of what something like this might look like. It kind of just sat in my Google Drive for another several months. And then Corona hit. And we started going out for long walks every day because it was our only way to get exercise. We started talking about, well, what if we actually wrote this thing and so the The outline got fleshed out a lot more um mostly through discussion, but occasionally I would pull out my phone and take down a note or two and we <laughs> and Leah started calling this the book. <laughs> And so, and I started saying, wait, an actual book, do you think this could actually become a book? And she was like, we have enough material for a book here, yeah, why not? And so we finally sat down one day, you could probably tell me the exact date, I don't remember the exact date, sometime in March maybe? No, it was June. (laughs) See? See? I don't know. The exact date, though, I can't tell you. But I
2: do know it was the month of June. Wow! So that okay. So
0: turnaround th- was even quicker than th- I can imagine. Because if you just started seriously in June, my gosh, um, we are recording this at the middle of August, 2020. For those listening at home,
1: it went quickly. <laughs> yeah. So we. So the discussions and brainstorming and um, organization, discussions of how how this would be organized, all happened mostly on walks and occasional evening conversations from March to June, I would say. So that sounds about right. And then one day in June, we just, we made a date. We put it on the calendar. This is the day that we're gonna sit down and do this. And so we just, we sat down and took our outline and started fleshing it out. Um, We both, we were working in one Google doc, each of us on our own laptops. And um, I started writing um, which language enrichment techniques I thought were really important. And Leah started writing more of the ASL instruction side of things and we both just kind of came at it from our our own unique perspectives, you know. I I do I do more of the language therapy side and Leah has years of experience teaching ASL. Together came up with what vocabulary we thought would be relevant to these routines and mm-hmm. each just sort of did our did our own part but came back and discussed and Supported each other as well, and wrote most of the book in, I would say, a couple days worth of time, and then a lot of the other time was devoted to um, Leah recording videos, making the little images that go with the vocabulary videos, um, creating some sorts of, I guess, what we're calling our branding, like what we want sort of the the pages to look like and have a consistent look all the way through. But the really fun part was taking it from a Google Doc and plugging it into the document that became the book itself, because that made it all real. Yeah.
0: Wow. A true collaboration. You each had your expertise and you came at it. I'd love to hear from you about the four chapters in the book, the different routines. And, um, you know, just what I love about it is this, how functional it is. It's really like from the morning to the evening, bedtime, like all the things you do in a day, instead of, Sometimes you see these like early things, which are like the five questions, you know, WH questions, who, what, where, when, why. That's a good place to start like if you're in high school or if you're you know a hearing person learning ASL, but not a great place to start with an infant. So tell us about, you know, the different chapters in the book.
2: Sure. So Rosie really was the one that helped me think about the different vocabulary or to really to kind of hone in on the different routines that we would use. Especially when you think about after post, I guess, COVID-19, we have more parent coaches um, because there are kids who used to be in therapy that cannot be in that office anymore and interacting with that SLP. Instead, they're interacting with their parents on a more regular basis. So we pick those four chapters based on the things that Rosie was already teaching families before COVID hit. So we are focusing on mealtime. You know, all kids are there eating many times during the day. And we decided that this book would be focusing on a younger population, kids under the age of one. And we do want to eventually develop curriculum for older children. But one thing that's really cool about mealtime is that all the children of every age typically eat right? So those families who perhaps have older children in the home still can be talking about food with their children, right? So we have basic food vocabulary, eat, drink, more, all done, you know, basic terms that come up a lot at mealtimes. Um, We have vocabulary related to bath time. Bath time is something that's such a rich opportunity for interaction with that child and to expose the baby to language. And it's a great time to use what the baby already is interested in. So they're looking around and they show that interest. And so you can kind of follow that interest to help with that language exposure.
0: Bath time, I think, is very interesting for all children, even children that are successfully using hearing aids or cochlear implants, because that's a time when they can't necessarily be using that unless they have all these other extra, you know, covers and all these things, which you're not gonna use every single day every time your kid gets wet. It's more like when you go to the water park or the beach, whatever. So even for children whose primary modality is an auditory oral environment, Um, and they are using their devices consistently, that bath time is often an opportunity missed for
2: increased language. Absolutely. So that's another reason why, you know, bath time is really important to include in the vocabulary. The third chapter is on diaper changes. And that one is something for older kids who... It doesn't fit for some kids that don't use diapers, but there is some overlap um, with some basic potty time routines. So we're gonna be developing that a little bit more later in the future, but it's still something that happens and I'm sure you remember, right? How many times a day do you change a diaper for a child? Right? That's a lot of time in which you could be interacting with the baby about different things related to that. The last chapter, which I think is my favorite, is on book sharing and I was always bookish as a kid and I wanted all kids to enjoy books as much as I did as a child. And that starts at a really early age and an early connection and that experience to books. But many parents, you know, especially if you don't know ASL might not really know how to read to their deaf baby, right? So, it's that idea of translating a book that is very overwhelming for parents. So, there are ways in which you can engage with your baby, and a book without having to read all of the words, especially for young, young children. It's not about the words on the page. It's about sharing that moment, looking together at the pictures, looking at each other, using facial expressions to communicate and basically bond over looking at a book. So those are the four chapters in our curriculum, and we already have many ideas for expanding that in the future, but here we are one day soon.
0: It's amazing. And I think one of the really valuable things that you've done with the book, which is a physical copy, but also digital, is all of the videos that are attached that you you can get access to outside of the book as well. Yes or no, actually? You
2: can, you can get, well, we have a page with different links on our website. So if you click on that, You will see um, a list of different videos related to each chapter, which you could then watch independently. But some of the videos may be out of context and not make a lot of sense if you just watch them. But if you use them in conjunction with the book, obviously it's very intuitive. Um, For example, we have a vocabulary lesson, then we have practice with different phrases so that parents and people that are using this can see the connection between the book and the video. But you can watch all the um, videos without requesting a copy of the book, if you would like. But keep in mind, the book is free, so please request a copy anyways.
0: I couldn't believe that. When you started um, posting on Instagram, and you know, I, right away, of course, I shared about it, and then like it took me a couple posts to realize, wait a minute, are you giving this out for free? So <laughs> I wrote, 0.00 dollars, people go download this.
1: (laughs) And (laughs) now I I remember that post. Yeah. (laughs) And even just, and even to clarify just a little bit more on your question about the, the links to videos and everything. Um, The primary modality that, that we're distributing the book is digitally. You can get it as a PDF or as an ebook file, depending on your preferred method of looking at it. And every link in those digital versions of the book is a live link. So, if we have, let's say, the phrases for chapter two, um, we have some sample phrases, and then right there in the book is the link to the video with the sample phrases. So everything is—it's all—it's all seamless. It's all in one place in the book itself. Um, the spreadsheet that Leah was describing is if you want to find a specific video, or if you only have a print copy of the book, um, that's—you can still find everything all in one place, but. Um, the The goal is for everything to just be seamless as you're working through it. That the links are all right there, right where you are in the book.
0: Okay. So I had a question about many of our listeners are international from all over the world, lots of different languages spoken and signed. And I'm I'm starting to wonder a little if they're going to listen, and some people are going to be jealous. This is not available in my local sign language um, you know, what's, what's being used here. So do you, know, linguistically are some of these signs similar? Cause they're more gestural, I guess, like drink and things like that. Or am I totally off about that? Well, some of the signs
2: like eat, um, you know, obviously, um, food eats, uh, that sign can be translated in many languages, not all, but some, I do know that some other languages do have very similar signs, but, There was one commenter um, on the request form for our book that said, hey, what do you wish for, maybe Razi, you could phrase the question through the night.
1: Um, On the order form where people could order a copy of the book, um, there were some questions of what do you see as the potential pros of a curriculum like this? What do you see as potential cons of a curriculum like this? Um, That question was asked to um, providers, professionals who are requesting a copy. And then also um, I think for both providers and families, because we have two separate forms, what do you wish were out there?
2: Right, right. So one comment that we received from that question, someone put down, hey, how about you put this out in Auslan, which is Australian Sign Language, right? So it would be wonderful. Um, to be able to translate the materials and the curriculum to other signed languages. We want to translate the text into different languages as well, especially for Australia, because the English is the same. We would just need to replace some of the videos, most of the videos actually, to reflect Australian Sign Language, but the text would not have to be changed as much. And so we could just say Oslan everywhere that ASL is written in the text, but Pretty much, it'd be pretty easy. But if we are able to coordinate this with someone to produce videos in other sign languages, we would love to have that happen because we know that this is not a unique situation. Um, This is something that parents around the world with deaf babies experience. They want to provide language that they don't know, right? So that's a hard thing to grapple with. And that's something that we want to seriously pursue especially as we continue to develop materials and grow this and grow the knowledge about this curriculum. We want the curriculum to reach out as many, to as many people and communities as possible.
0: Well, you heard it here, people. That's what this podcast is about. So if you are interested in collaborating with Rosie and Leah on this project internationally, you best get in touch with them and then tell them you found them from the podcast. Okay. I want points <laughs> in this. Yes. Providing, you know, so much language opportunity for children around the world. That is why I'm here
1: (laughs) Can I can I add something about that really quick? Um, so we do have someone who's been translating the text of the activities and learning resources so far not not the whole book itself just yet um, into Spanish because we've gotten a lot of requests for Spanish-speaking families who are learning ASL Um, To get access that way. And so that's been very much in progress. And I believe all of our learning materials are have been translated into Spanish and we're um, almost there with getting the captions on the videos as well into Spanish. So as you mentioned, we are currently giving the book away for free and it's digital copy. Um, The the cost of the printed copy just covers printing and shipping basically. In the future, we we may charge for the book, but only to professionals who are requesting it. And we'll still keep it very affordable. We wanna keep it absolutely free and accessible to families for as long as we are able to do so, hopefully forever. That's our goal. Um, If people want to support this endeavor and help us keep it free or very affordable, um, we do have a Patreon account where people can become a patron, and what that means is you're basically subscribing to pay a certain amount per month, and you can choose the amount to help us afford really what it's going toward is translation, is paying translators to translate the materials into as many languages as possible. Um, we started with Spanish because that's where we got the biggest demand, but we want to keep going and expanding it outward because I work with mostly multilingual families and I know that a lot of other folks do as well and we are getting requests for other signed languages like Leah said and um, also other spoken languages. So. We do want to keep up that work. So that's, that's one way that we can keep the translation going. Yes.
0: I so much believe in the way that you've made something so complicated and like, I just, I hear a lot from people who have a new diagnosis as an audiologist, you know, and they say this news fell into my life, like a meteor from the sky, you know, lots of times parents have a child who is deaf and no one else in the family is deaf. They've never met a deaf person before. And now they're getting all this information about you must do this implant, or you you know, you must teach ASL, or you must do this, you must do that. And they're just kind of like, I need to change a diaper today. Like that's what I need. I don't know what anybody else is talking about. And then especially in the last few months when everything has been disrupted, I think a lot more people have gone online, even more so than regular to get help. So I'd love for both of you to give us some advice for the listeners uh, and for the professionals, providers who work with them. What, you know, why should they pursue this kind of curriculum um, as opposed to, you know, let me go this other route that lots of people are telling me about auditory oral and I have to go, you know, the medical audiology related model Uh, but they're kind of, you know, just confused with all the information that's coming at them. What would you say to the listeners?
2: I think the first thing is, is that we love language as linguists, right? We love language and we love multilingualism. The more languages, the better. So for that family out there with a baby that's two months old and they're starting to sign with their baby, do it in functional ways, right? Maybe you're still trying to figure out, you know, okay, I just had a baby two months ago. I'm not sleeping that much. You know, obviously you have a newborn infant, but there's also this other news that you're grappling with, but your baby's still healthy and looking around and is still seeking opportunities to connect with you as a parent. And providing accessible language is a great way to start that bond and to start that journey with your child. And maybe at some point you will give assistive listening devices to your child, a cochlear implant, a hearing aid, but maybe they don't need that. You know, I know many, many people out there who have a cochlear implant and still sign. It's not an either or type of a situation. So I really want to emphasize that. Deaf people with cochlear implants can still sign right? And they can know more than one language. Knowing more than one language is better than knowing just one. So there's no need to decide right now what to do with your baby, but don't wait until you know how much they can hear with a cochlear implant or a hearing aid. Go ahead and start signing with them, you know, and that will be, they will be your best guide. They will tell you what they want, what they like, what they understand. And the more language exposure that they have the better that they will be able to tell you what it is that they prefer. So start now. And after that, just follow their lead.
0: I'm obsessed with the advice of listen to your child and follow them, you know, and they'll show you. That is so about connecting and not being like stuck in a dogma, but rather like what's the reality of this family and this child. In an earlier episode of the podcast, we had a mother, Madeline, from the Rare Life podcast, she spoke about her son, Kimball, and uh, listeners can go and listen to her whole story. But she mentioned how hurt and how uh, attacked she was in some of these Facebook groups, where there were, you know, you're a bad mother, you're this, you know, all of these messages, because of various choices she was making about the language, when what she was coming for was advice and support and guidance from people she thought would get it. But unfortunately, there is this divide. And I would like to see more acceptance of the difference, you know, either or is a very difficult place to live in general, black and white thinking of anything. Rossi, do you have anything to add?
1: Sure. Um, I have two things. One is language is everything. Language is the vehicle to bonding with other people, to making friends, to education. You can't learn about math and science and social studies and history and all of the things that we learn about in school without a solid language foundation because it'll go over your head. doesn't matter how smart you are. If you don't have language, you can't learn. But you can't learn as well. Like Leah was saying, listening devices do all kinds of things and the technology is fascinating and very impressive but every child is different and we don't know how much any listening device is going to do for them until they start getting older and either acquiring spoken language and listening skills or not and if they're not then now that's all lost time. Languages are all stored in the brain the same way and so the earlier we can give a child language that they can access without difficulty the better they're going to be able to learn in the long term and that's that's what we're learning more and more through research but also through personal stories of people who have had late late people who have had late exposure to their first language and so yeah it's all it's all about language um, the second thing that that came to mind is I have never met a. I mean, there there may be folks out there. I'm speaking from my own personal experience as a hearing person who is involved in the deaf community, but as a speech therapist, people talk to me about speech therapy a lot. I have never met a deaf adult who has told me I wish I had more speech therapy. I have met. Wow. Hundreds, possibly. I don't know. Many, many, many who have said, I wish my parents had calmed down about speech and learned to sign. I would have a better relationship with my parents if they had made the effort to learn to sign when I was little. So just, you know, deaf children turn into deaf adults, and I think we need to listen to what they're saying. And it's not either or. It's really not. More languages are better than none which is what we're potentially contending with if we're not giving them early, early access to language.
0: Yeah. I Again, that message that parents have to remember, what is the point of doing the hearing aid, the cochlear implant, the speech therapy? Why do you want to do that? And the goal would be so you can connect with your child, so they can interact with other people, so they can learn. And all those other goals can be reached with this other simultaneous route of speaking and signing or combinations. The same way that there is this, you know, old myths about you shouldn't speak two languages, two spoken languages, because you'll confuse the child. That's not true at all in spoken bilingualism. So, and, and also, I think people need to also hear that it doesn't have to be now you need to be take ASL. Uh, for 20 hours a week and go become a fluent person from zero to 60. Like you can take this beautiful curriculum and learn how to make some phrases throughout the day. That's a great place to start without saying I will never learn this or it's too hard. Or how can I get to classes? I can't even leave my house. Here's your answer people.
1: (laughs) And that was one of the major goals with this curriculum was Um, You know, I'm, I'm not a parent. I'm a professional who works with parents and I wanted something that I could use in my work with parents who I'm meeting with weekly or bi-weekly or, you know, or whatever it is. Um, And so if there are parents or other family members who are out there who are thinking, I want to learn some ASL and I'm looking through this and it looks cool, but I'm not sure I can do it on my own. If you're getting early intervention services and you have a teacher of the deaf or a deaf mentor, deaf coach, or a speech pathologist, or someone who's working with you, even through Zoom, if that's how we're doing it these days, our lessons were designed to be bite-sized. You know, they're not expansive, extensive units like you would get in a college ASL course. They're, they're meant to be a limited number of vocabulary words so that you don't get overwhelmed. You know, it's, it's a start to get the ball rolling. And I know of parents who've started with our cute little family class, um or with you know little short classes offered by the local deaf organization that kind of thing and then when their child got older and was in school all day they took a community college class in asl those sorts of things that's fantastic our curriculum is just to get the ball rolling and get parents and other family members comfortable having their hands up when they're interacting with their child that's that's really Our goal here is just to get that comfort level going, and then the rest can come from there.
0: It's amazing. I'm a big fan. I'm so grateful to both of you for coming on the show, for sharing this incredible resource. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners where, you know, we've added all the links where they can get the book? Anything else? Oh, where they should follow you on Instagram. That's where we hang out. (laughs)
2: Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Um, Instagram is
3: at home. On Facebook, it's all one word, ASL at home. Please like and follow us. And of course, if you have any questions, go ahead and send us a message. We mostly post about what the resources look like, the layout and how the book looks, and then short little snippets so that we can entice folks. If this is something they're looking for, then they can go ahead and request the resource. But if they're not, that's fine too. The more that we can do to help make sure this is something you're looking for, then better. So please do contact us if you need to.
1: Last words. And our, and our website is American Sign Language americansignlanguageathome.com. So that's where you can fill out an order form for us to send you a digital or printed copy or both. So there's more information about all of it as well on our website.
0: Amazing, thank you so very much to both of you. And thank you to our interpreters for facilitating this conversation. This is the All About Audiology podcast. I'm Dr. Lilach Saperstein, and I'm so grateful that you are a listener. As always, you can read full transcripts of the episodes at allaboutaudiology.com.